Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. I'm John Plunkett and welcome to Media Talk. On this week's show, it's hello and goodbye at the BBC as BBC Two gets a new controller and BBC Three is left looking for one. We find out all the news from the MIP TV and the time it would take to order a dirty martini at the Carlton Hotel. Plus, The Guardian and The Washington Post win the Pulitzer Prize for the two papers' NSA revelations. And we say farewell, true detective, hello, madmen, in our stateside telly roundup with Rebecca Nicholson. That's all coming up on Media Talk from The Guardian. And this week, I'm joined by journalist Tara Conlon, The Guardian's chief arts writer, Charlotte Higgins, and down the line, all the way from New York, it's Emily Bell, director of the Tower Centre for Digital Journalism at the Columbia Journalism School. Uh, welcome all. Thanks very much for that big response. It's gonna be, Hi, John. At least Emily can pretend she can't hear me, but I'm, I'm looking at you two. So, you know, I know you can hear just, just dropped off, I'm afraid. Emily, I think it might have been snowing where you are. Is that right? It is, yes. It's summertime in New York, so there's an inch of snow on the ground. It's crazy, what we call a crazy-ass weather system. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, you, you've gone there. How long have you been there now? Two years? You've been in uh, more than that? I know, three, I'm afraid. Three. Over three. I'm complaining about everyone and everything and pushing people off the sidewalks. That's how long I've been here. What's changed? <laughs> <laughs> right, first up this week, BBC Two and BBC Four, don't forget, has got a new controller. This person is the BBC's Science and Natural History Chief, Kim Schillinglaw, who succeeds Janice Hadlow, of course, who has gone off to one of those jobs only the BBC can have, which is some kind of special projects role. But we're not here to talk about Janice. We're here to talk about Kim, who is currently responsible for around 200 hours of TV a year. I call her Kim, I could say Schillinglaw, including the likes of Stargazing Live, Frozen Planet and uh, Bango's The Theory, the only BBC programme ever to have used the Digital Media Initiative, and uh, John Plunkett's favourite third-person problem, Springwatch. Now, Emily, it's great to have you here, but even better to have you here because uh, you've known Kim Schillinglaw for, what, a, a, a good few years? I have, yes. Tell us all about to... her and, and, you know, just... I'm, I'm digging the dirt. She's actually one of my closest friends. I'm not going to tell you anything about her. <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible journalist answer. Um, no, we, we, Thanks we, very we, much, we, Emily Bell. We go back a long way. We go back a long way. Um, and it's very odd being asked to comment on somebody you know reasonably well over a long period of time. So given um, your friendship and all that, say, give us a little insight, yeah. Yeah, except to say, first of all, I just think she will be, I mean, this is an unbiased view. She's got an incredible programming uh, record. And as well as as well as the things you've talked about, she's also been involved in the commissioning side of children's. She's worked in news, worked on Newsnight for a while. You know, she's worked in policy for a little bit. So there are not many people who have both a programming record and a strategic record like hers uh, within the BBC. Um, the other thing is she's a, wo- she's a woman, sorry, stating the obvious, uh, and the BBC uh, you know, is something of a blococracy at the top. But most of all, she's just an incredibly sort of like sharp, talented programmer. It's one of those things where people seem genuinely relieved and pleased that she is new controller of BBC Two. You know, within the BBC, and that's quite a rare thing. You know that, that I I can't remember many appointments at the BBC that were not greeted by at least you know a certain amount of internal grumbling. So I think you know, and she's she's also very wedded to this mission of bringing big and difficult subjects, particularly kind of in in science, to very broad based audiences in some quite sort of 
bold programming. She was responsible for the Battersea Power Station. Was it Battersea Power Station? They filled with people on exercise bikes to show, you know, the effects of, you know, what you what you needed to do to generate power and how much it took to run a, you know, run a, a, a house and put your kettle on and things like that. So I think that, she, you know, she, she sort of carries the BBC mission and I think will be great. But Tara, give us a sense of, of what the challenge is at BBC Two. It's, it's done rather well. Plenty of applaud it's under Hadlow, but at the same time, it, it lost its daytime schedule, and uh, there are question marks over just how it kind of relates to to BBC Four, uh, and also it needs to do more current affairs, and maybe it's had a tricky time in comedy of, of late as well. What, what, what's your take? Where, where is BBC Two, which of course has its fiftieth anniversary um, Easter Monday? Well, it's it's in a good place. I mean, Janice Hadlow's handing it over in a in a good way. It's a good time for anyone to get it, but particularly Kim. I think it was Michael Grade who was who was saying that maybe some of the formats are a little coming towards the, the perhaps the later years. And I guess one of the challenges is to bring on some new programme ideas and some new formats. That might be one of the areas that she would would be looking at um, and how it how it works with with BBC Four as well I, I think in Janice's new job she's going to be also looking across what might work across both channels so she'll have some help there but what she can bring on from BBC Four and also looking online as well having seen what's happened with BBC Three. And Charlotte, you've been you've been writing many many words about the BBC in a special project for the Guardian and book I think as well. I don't know how much you've touched on BBC Two and the kind of um, it's it's got a, a very special role, but also quite an unusual one in the sense that every so often it appears to suffer an identity crisis because it's a real kind of hodgepodge of stuff from you know Top Gear to Match of the Day Two to very serious history drama documentary. You know what what what's it for? Do you think, or what should it stand for in, in the years ahead? Well, I mean, I suppose part of the the thing that I've been doing in this big, long series of essays about the BBC is thinking about a little bit about the BBC's past to try and to try and sort of deepen and broaden our understanding of what its future could or might be. And had to, it's yet to be published yet, but I did have a really interesting day with David Attenborough, who was not the founding controller of BBC Two, but who was brought in when the founding controller of BBC Two made a bit of a hash of it, arguably. And, you know, it was just very illuminating talking to him. I I hadn't realised just how heterogeneous the channel was in its early days, in fact. So it did have that sense of hodgepodge that, you know, one day cricket was on BBC Two. Pop Black was invented for BBC Two with the curious and hilarious fashion of having to describe the balls, both for black and white and colour viewers. But, you know, BBC Two was an invention of colour television, so, you know, doing snooker was kind of, well, hey, we can do it on colour, wow. But also that that extraordinary thing of being able to think what would be really great to do on television that could show the power of colour, civilization, you know, the ascent of man and all of those things. So that that kind of ambition, and, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like an old lag, but that kind of ambition is, is very exciting. It would be great if they could... <laughs> you know achieve those kind of heights again well as the bbc gained one controller it lost another bbc3 zy bennett is leaving to head up sky atlantic uh, he'll be off in the summer and uh, this announcement comes of course just a month after uh, tony hall confirmed that the channel would go online only effectively uh, ending its life as a as a tv channel after 11 years tara n- no surprise he's leaving but maybe a surprise where he's off to uh, uh, what's he going to do have great fun, I would have thought. Sneaky peeks at Game of Thrones and all the lovely things that they've got on Sky Atlantic. But also his background in 
comedy, when you look at the comedy that he's done on BBC Three, things like Blue Stone Fall 2 or uh, Cuckoo. Cuckoo. Cuckoo was another of his. And Uncle, is that BBC Three? Uh, Producer Matt's nodding at me vigorously, yes. yes. <laughs> oh yes, Uncle, of course. Yeah. Charlotte, who can forget Uncle? Absolutely. Nearly exactly. transferred to BBC Two. But, but so, so he has a, you know, a, a lot of background in, in comedy as well. And there, there is that element too on, on uh, Sky Atlantic with um, Mr Sloan coming up and Alan Partridge. So you can see why he's a, he's a good fit there and he has a commercial background he used to work at ITV2 and uh, um, and did a lot of work uh, at ITV2 obviously anyway as Essex so he's, he's got that good span of bringing on new uh, comedy he's got that range as well uh, on Factual he did things like uh, free bought free speech onto BBC3 but he also has the nous to think commercially so you can see he's a good fit there and Emily Zy Bennett's uh, departure is not going to do anything to reassure people who think um, BBC Three going online only is really sort of the the death of the channel as we know it. No, well, that's right. But also, you know, kind of what do you have channel control for? You know, once things are online, then the idea of a schedule becomes slightly absurd. Uh, uh, so I think that you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not to say that BBC Three won't do great things, but you know, really, BBC Three only makes any sense at all in the context of a channel lineup. You know, it's not it's not like you have channels on the internet you know do you, you remember when the bbc put a clock on the internet on its website so it's like what what time is it on the internet feels a little bit like that i mean it's it's like great to put programming on there yeah that works fine but why would you you know having a schedule and a sort of a commissioning which works for one platform is uh, you know it's, it's a total waste of resource to try and flip that and 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 replicate it online so i can't can't imagine that the BBC are actually going to do that. And Sky Atlantic, it feels like it's the coming channel. I mean, everyone knows it as the home of Game of Thrones, which lots of people watch, and Mad Men, which fewer people watch. But as, as Tara said, there, there's lots of origin- originated comedy on there, and sort of quite risk-taking and um, and edgy stuff. You know, people like Julia Davis that you know gets lots of plaudits and BAFTA nominations last time round, at least. But still, outside of its big acquisitions, the r- ratings are still tiny. Yeah, but I mean, that's always been the way, hasn't it, for, for Sky Entertainment channels? You know, they've always been sort of the, the ratings have always been small but I thought what Tara was saying about comedy is really fascinating because actually again uh, if I wants to spend you know kind of more time racking up the old air miles the comedy scene now particularly coming you know coming out of American television is arguably much more kind of edgy and interesting than than the UK so you have that sort of programs like Inside Amy Schumer and Broad City, all of which are kind of, you know, female comedians, which are, are, are sort of very mould breaking, I think. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not he sort of extends the comedy brief into buying. I don't know whether they bought those shows already, but, you know, the, the, there are some really kind of, you know, fantastic and interesting and funny shows very much on the sort of the heels of girls, which I think is a Sky Atlantic acquisition. But it's never going to have a big audience, you know, in, in, in the UK. It's more of a... It's more of a sort of, a, I suppose, a, a, a branding channel. You know, it runs a little bit like Sky Arts. Um, and Tara, in terms of who will replace him, they probably won't replace him directly. They're going to roll it into another job, do you think, at the BBC? Probably there's talk about it being rolled into the iP- iPlayer. Uh, when Danny Cohen announced last year they were going to have an iPlayer controller, they'll probably roll it into their Damien Kavanagh uh, from Daytime's looking after it looking after the proposal going towards the trust and desires there till June so they've got a while to decide but it makes sense I mean it's a much smaller budget 
And in other news this week, uh, The Guardian and The Washington Post have been awarded the highest accolade in US journalism. They won the Pulitzer Prize for public service for their groundbreaking articles on the National Security Agency's surveillance activities, based, of course, on the leaks of Edward Snowden. Emily, uh, I should mention before I ask you about this that you are, of course, on on the board of the Scott Trust, which uh, owns uh, The Guardian and Observer and all affiliated activities. Well, what did you? Uh, what was your response to this, and what's the response been like in uh, in the US? I think you've only got me on to talk about things in which I have deep personal interest. In. That's it. <laughs> uh, so. Next up, what are you having for tea? Exactly. Uh, so, well, so first of all, it, I mean, it's an amazing achievement for um, Janine Gibson, who's the uh, Guardian US editor, and you know, for Alan Rusbridger, the, the editor of the Guardian. To, to win a, a Pulitzer Gold for, for, for public services, you know, there is only one gold medal that goes in, in the journalism prize that goes with that category. Um, it routinely goes to publications rather than individual journalists. Uh, the response here, I think, has been, you know, overwhelmingly positive. The, the, the Pulitzer Room, I mean, they, get, they hand them out or rather they announce them in, in uh, the World Room at the, J, at the J School, which is just down the, the stairs from my office. And I popped in, as you do, to see the, to see the processes being handed out. And uh, Sid Gisler, who has been administering them for the past 20 years or so, uh, said he had never seen that many people sort of packed into the room. He said this is because of the NSA. You know, it's such a story. So I think that there's been great feeling of sort of vindication because don't forget, you know, in the States, the narrative about the story has been that from the administration's point of view, that Snowden is a traitor. There's been a, a real uptick here in prosecuting or trying to bring prosecutions under the Espionage Act. There's been a lot of pursuit of leaks to the press. There's been an overall chilling effect on how national security uh, is reported. So for the Post, the Washington Post, where Bart Gelman uh, also did some amazing reporting on this, and for the Guardian, where Glenn Greenwald, Laura Quatras, you know, McCaskill, you know, the whole team really changed. You know, they've really changed the world which you can't say about many stories you know in in journalism that you can genuinely see policy and public opinion shifting on such an important and quite complicated topic so here there's been i think a real sort of a real sort of solidarity and 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 positive response from across the press which i understand is very different from the uk where i don't think anybody else has mentioned it have they <laughs> it's like i think they were mentioned in the ft and the and the independent too but but, but scantily reported i think would be fair to say yes it doesn't have a huge amount of relevance, maybe, to UK news in that, you know, it's a prize for non-American outlets can win Pulitzer Prizes. You know, Reuters has won Pulitzer Prizes, won, won a couple this year. You know, Reuters does have a headquarters in the in America, but it's also kind of its, it's, journalism, it's journalism businesses headquartered in Canary Wharf. It's owned, you know, its major shareholders are Canadian. Um, but you do have to have a significant operation here in the States with journalists who are reporting stories in America uh, for an American market. And so, so, so the Guardian, if you like, qualifies on, on those grounds. And so I, think, so I think it's great. I think it's great for the Guardian uh, and it's a sort of validation of some, some very difficult work. And also in, in other news, uh, Channel 4 announced they were going to supercharge their arts output. Uh, you may remember a few weeks ago, Tony Hall said they were going to do, uh, BBC was going to do lots more art stuff, which uh, turned out to be about £3 million more art stuff. And now Channel 4, Tara, is going to do something similar. I know, everyone's getting on the bandwagon for arts, it's very fashionable. But Channel 4 are taking a different tack, it would have been. They are, they're going more contemporary, which, you know, they've arguably have done for a long time anyway, but that's how they are separating themselves out from the rest of the pack. And um, they're doing things more with Grayson Perry and British, uh, the 
instrument amnesty with the brilliant James Rhodes, which is sort of doing for musical instruments in cupboards, getting people to get them out and donate them to children who don't get much music education at school. So uh, they are very much uh, having a drive on the arts front. And they've also doing a partnership with the Arts Council and putting on air a new show called Random Acts, which is kind of grown up out of a sort of series of shorts that they've done before. But it will be a half-hour show showing the very best of short films, artists, made by artists, not just here is an, here is an artist doing something, but it's actually made by them. And Charlotte, this this feels like you know, in 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 some measure at least, this feels like it tackles some of the criticism maybe that was levelled at Tony Horn that he went for the kind of the big blockbuster, you know, um, Tate and National Theatre and all that very kind of mainstream stuff, whereas Channel Four are going for the periphery a bit more, and it feels like that might be welcomed. Well, the crucial thing I think is that they're, they're working with artists directly, and that has worked incredibly well for Channel Four in the past because that was the invention of Steve McQueen as a film director, which went something like. Jan, young husband, decides that she... What's a good way of putting the arts on telly? Oh, it's working with artists and getting them to make the stuff. So it's her talking to Steve McQueen, developing Hunger, which then, of course, gets siphoned off into film four and becomes an enormous hit. And Steve McQueen is invented as the new genius film director de nos jours. And that's a, that's a Channel 4 TV arts project. So, you know, if they can crack that again, that would be a marvellous thing. Emily Bell is no longer with us, but the good news is that Tara and Charlotte are, and so is Mr. Stuart Dredge, a journalist and master of all things tech. Stuart, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, very good. I'm guessing you're sporting a healthy tan because you've just come back from the um, the MIP TV, uh, TV festival in Cannes on the uh, beautiful south of France. Yes, I wish I had a tan, actually. Everyone goes there, sits in the sun and kind of sips rosé and has meetings, and I was in session rooms, kind of in, in the dark, live-blogging people, so... Uh, the glamour. Yeah. I'm pasty-faced tech journalist rather than tanned tourist. Uh, now, the last time I went to MIP TV was in about 1996, probably, and uh, there was just lots of people in cubicles putting VHS videotapes into uh, into holes. And uh, it was, <laughs> sounds like my trip to Amsterdam, but that was, <laughs> that was something entirely different. But uh, I'm imagining, you know, with on-demand and digital and stuff like that, it's not quite like that anymore. Well, kind of, <clears throat> yes and no. So they, they still have this huge market of people selling their programmes on these kind of weird and wonderful formats from around the world. But yeah, the conference sessions are increasingly all about digital stuff. So you kind of had YouTube were very big there this year. Twitter were there doing a keynote speech. And you have all these people like Hulu and Microsoft and Amazon who are kind of pitching themselves as new distribution channels. So yeah, digital is kind of pretty much where all the action is in the conference. Although, yeah, behind the scenes, everyone is still selling these kind of... these quite often really strange TV formats. Oh, yeah. Now, I want to ask you about those uh, those later, and I'm going to uh, quiz Tara and Charlotte, see if they can guess whether they're genuine or not. But uh, of all these kind of digital types that were, you know, kind of throwing their cash around and, and handing out um, business cards like confetti, which, which are those sort of trends, or who, who impressed you most? Because there's been lots of talk about convergence and, you know, smart TVs and everything, which is happening, but, you know, certainly slowly in my household. But what, what, what struck you most? Well, actually, one thing that was good was they had this, this two-day part of MIP TV, which is, was brand new this year, which was called Digital Fronts is based on the thing that happens in New York where I think people on YouTube basically show off their stuff to advertisers and say come and sponsor us and here it was more showing it to broadcasters saying look here's the best of YouTube like everything from kind of drama to kind of YouTubers messing around to kind of some gamey stuff and um, and yeah so that was interesting because one because you sort of see all these things on the big the biggest screen in Cannes the kind of the, the main palais cinema which hosts the film festival and you're watching kind of Minecraft videos or, or Vice's things or things that we'd normally watch on a computer screen it got across, I think, the scale of some of these YouTubers and the kind of fan bases they have. So you'd sort of, 
you get these two blokes come onto the stage who are twins from the UK who are basically having an extended gap year dicking around in India. And they've got three million, follow- three million subscribers on YouTube and they've got Sky and, well, Skype and Sony sponsoring them. And there was a story after story of these people who kind of have, have really big audiences, but they're not really known to the TV industry. So that was kind of a good new guard meeting the old guard moment, really. Are these, are these people sort of going to, you know, are they going to make the leap to the mainstream or, or does it matter if they don't make the leap to the mainstream? Are they the new mainstream? Well, that's it. It's kind of yes and no. So <clears throat> I think the people who are watching them, it's a lot of young sort of teenagers and 20-somethings are going to watch on YouTube and they don't feel the need to watch on TV. And I think when you see these people interviewed who have built an audience on YouTube, they don't they're not really that fussed about going to TV. I think partly because they have creative control at the moment, they can do whatever they like. But then when you talk to the companies they're working with, so like the multi-channel networks like Maker Studios, they're actually going and thinking, well, actually, we could package up this stuff as TV formats and sell it to broadcasters. So the kind of the business, the, the suits involved in this are trying to sell this stuff to TV and sort of repackage it. But the people doing it seem quite comfortable being online. I did mention those formats there, and uh, here we go. Now, this is the question for you, Tara and Charlotte here. Are these real or made up? And then, Stuart, I'll ask you to give us a quick uh, resume. Uh, now, this, this format's called Babe, Babe Magnet, which is a bit like Blind Date, uh, but only if the female contestants could project unsuitable men with a giant magnet. Is that real or made up, do you think? It's probably a, is it French, but where's, where's it from? Is it, well, Tara thinks it's real. Is that real? Was that really so, there, Stuart? It sounds Stuart? like some kind of French title, doesn't it? <laughs> that is real, yeah. And was it from France? Uh, that's a good question. That's I'm a tough sure. question, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite possible. Yeah, but it was basically if, if instead of Scylla sending someone to a little stage, if the, the person rejecting had a giant magnet to repel them, that's basically the, the gist. I like this one, but this sounds better. But Charlotte, is this real or made up? And the fact I'm reading it off a sheet, and we're talking to Stuart, who's been to Cannes, suggests it might be real. Uh, the shower, which is a music talent show where contestants sing in an on-stage shower, whose temperature is controlled by the audience's app votes. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. See, that's TV mean- gold. Does it mean that the contestants get either frozen to death or kind of hospitalised through third-degree burns? Is that the length of a stewart? (laughs) It can't be real. That's coming to ITV soon, isn't it? I like the sound of that. That's a follow-up to X Factor, surely. Yeah, that is absolutely true. That is real. It's a, it's a, I don't know where it came from. But yeah, it's, it's like got limited on it, I think. So I assume it only goes a little bit cold. <laughs> only goes so hot, yes. Um, but really? I, saw it, I, saw, I picked up a leaflet for it. And the leaflet is basically a woman in a bikini singing on stage. It looks like the most tawdry kind of sexist talent show you can imagine. Shall but I'm really? assured that there are men too in swimming trunks performing. So it's a <laughs> and what about this one? Charlotte, uh, you know, Guardian's chief arts uh, writer. Uh, dolphins with the stars, which pair celebrities with dolphins for a weekly performance. I quite like the sound of that, actually. That would cheer up strictly, wouldn't it? Yeah, ITV2, do- sorry. Bring on, the, bring on the dolphins. Come on, Stuart, tell me. That is true. Yeah. That's true, it's happening. It's, weird. it's kind of like the, the spirit of Alan Partridge's monkey tennis is, is like alive, but all these shows are being pitched there. and It's, it's like something you would pitch into Spring of Lunch, but, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know why I doubted you, actually, Stuart. As a veteran of the Cannes Film Festival, in the whole pitching section, uh, the most unlikely uh, films are, of course, pitched... Uh, you get some really mad things. It's okay. like touch the truck on. Remember that one? That was on Channel Five. Touch the truck. That would have. It was. Uh, as many people as possible have to carry on touching mainstream. a truck. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Stuart, on that on that on that uh, positive note, uh, I'm looking forward to um, Dolphins with the Stars. What a tragedy if that's on BBC Three and it's only online. Uh, <laughs> it deserves a linear channel. Anyway, Stuart, thank you very much. That's okay. Thank you. And now it's time to talk TV in a phrase I haven't used for a good few weeks. It's Rebecca Nicholson. Rebecca, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm, I'm all good. And we miss, we miss you in the TV lair, but we've had some stellar replacements. Uh, you'll no uh, doubt have heard. 
have they redecorated? Um, That's me- what I really want to know. <laughs> they haven't. No, it's it's just as it's been left. It's it's like a, it's like a scene <laughs> like from Broadchurch. Yes, that's right. <laughs> if there was that scene in Broadchurch, if, if there wasn't, there should have been. Right. Okay. So we should talk TV as advertised. What have you been watching on your uh, on your even more expensive, even bigger? Uh, American uh, LCD plasma screen thing. There is so much television here. It's ridiculous. This is the first thing that I've noticed. They do a lot of TV. There's loads of it. You're in heaven. Um, I know. But there's a couple of things that, that haven't arrived in the UK yet, both of which are on Comedy Central. The first one is a show called Broad City, which just finished its first season. And I think it will be making its way over to the UK. They were at uh, the MIP TV thing. Amy Poehler is the executive producer. And then it's two comedians, Abby Jacobson and Alana Glazer. What did Amy Poehler do, remind us? Amy Poehler, host of the Golden Globes, star and creator of Parks and Recreation. Right, thanks. An all-round general, excellent person. So it's got pedigree, um, that's what you're selling us. It's got got outstanding pedigree. It's just very funny. So it's about these two women in their 20s in New York running around smoking a lot of drugs and generally having a great time. But it's very, very surreal. And... I haven't seen anything quite like it. There's so much good comedy at the moment, but lots of it falls into categories that are are all kind of broadly similar. This, I think, is really out there on its own, and it's just so funny. So I would highly recommend seeing that when it comes over. It's a bit surreal and involves drugs. It reminds me of the the sitcom, I can't remember what it was called, so you're going to have to help me in real time here. It had (laughs) Ted Danson as a publisher, and it had Zach Galder, what's his name? Galifianakis. The The big man from The Hangover. Yeah, um, and they had another guy in it who was who's in all the um, <laughs> Jason Schwartzman. That's it. What was yeah, the show what called? Yeah, what was it called? That was good. It, didn't last, it was HBO. It didn't last very long. I think they did maybe three seasons of I it. I think. Yeah, no, I think it's coming back as a film eventually. Is it really? Anyway, whatever what was that it was called? called. It was a detective, funny detective thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's w- not Broad City's nothing like that. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad I brought that up. And next, also on Comedy Central, there is a show called Inside Amy Schumer, which is. Oh, yes. uh, another female comedian and she it's kind of a sketch show but it's one of those things where this is the second season now I don't know her background actually I'd never come across her before but I I came across this show one night and just started watching it and I've noticed that there's a sketch from each week that seems to have a little mini viral moment and this is very kind of I would say it's crass comedy but it's very very funny and it's there's a big kind of feminist undertone to it that you don't really notice until you realize that that's actually what she was doing she's kind of plays this like it's a bit like Chelsea Handler she kind of plays this obnoxious character version of her but really it's very funny so just another comedy that I would recommend checking out inside Amy Schumer and actually listeners to last week's show who heard about uh, Comedy Central launching a new comedy website over here uh, that's going to be one of the shows that they use clips from uh, on oh, the really? UK site yeah well I'm not surprised because as I said these clips do seem to be going viral but now I want to ask you about uh, well there's three big uh, US shows to talk about one of which I've seen one of which yep. you've seen and one of which yep. neither of us have seen so maybe we'd do it in that order okay uh, let's do that so True Detective aka Righteous Dick uh, in my household uh, came to a finish and uh, some yeah a bit of a split opinion about whether the finale was uh, you know classic tv or a terrible boring return to conventional detective drama well we had this weeks ago so let me try and cast my mind oh. back to uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what are you doing there your time shift dropping <laughs> i was the thing is the problem with all of these shows is that the internet now is so good at working out how things should end and kind of getting itself into a state about shows with fan theories and people were coming up with these extraordinary conspiracy theories and kind of brilliant endings for the show that are almost better than the writers have already come up with because they're spending so much time and energy on you know on thinking about it so I feel like that ending 
was fine, but I liked the weirdness of the show, and I thought that was Me more too. straightforward than I expected it to be. But I don't think it was bad necessarily. I really, yeah, well, yeah, it was conventional, tense. but it was very well done. You know, it's yeah. it very, very well done conventional finish. You know, yeah. no, I chewed my arm off. You know, I was yelling yeah. at the screen. I was swearing. I have to confess. I had to apologise to all and sundry. <laughs> well, the, the one in person the ca- in the Was it the bit in the catacombs? Yeah, yeah. it went on forever. Yeah. Went on it forever. went on for a very long time. See, my yeah. theory was that Woody Harrelson killed his wife. I oh, thought, really? I thought I saw a picture of his dead wife early on. Obviously, completely imagine that. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't that disappointed. I was quite happy, <laughs> but it was like the cheesy end. It was a little, you know, they did lay it on, but same as Breaking Bad, wasn't it? You know, that kind of that this idea of redemption, a, isn't it? That seems yeah. to keep popping up, and I think maybe that's. I didn't think it needed that, but maybe it did. Yeah, it'd have been miserable for seven episodes. Very, you know, very bleak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the light's winning. The light's winning, it, Rebecca. The light is winning. It's a shame those two aren't going to be in the next season. Yeah, that's what someone said on the internet. Possibly someone who works for the Guardian. Well, uh, and Andrew Collins, the, the, the great Andrew Collins, in fact, said, uh, yeah. "You know, the second series got a different director, different cast, different storyline. <laughs> what can go wrong?" Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, now here's the show you've seen. I haven't. Game of Thrones is uh, back with a bang. Oh, it's back with a bang. It's doing very well as well in the ratings. Last week, so we're two episodes in. Last week's episode, which I believe is on a Monday night. It was it was a big moment. We had another wedding, and I don't know how much of Game of Thrones you've seen, but weddings do not go do not go well in Game of Thrones. And the same thing happened. We lost one of the most I was going to say beloved, but that's not true. Uh, one of the biggest characters has gone. And but that's the the fun of watching Game of Thrones is that you can never tell who's going to make it to the end of the episode. No one. Um, it doesn't matter how big they've been, which is really fun. And I haven't read the books. So I don't know what's happening. So every week it's a surprise, apart from this week when everybody spoiled it on the internet for me because I had to watch it a day later. Did the best man turn up with no trousers on? <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. No, that happened at my wedding. Uh, right, OK. Well, I've only seen the How first... How did his speech temp- oh, <laughs> It was all right. He's <laughs> not far away from here, so uh, he never quite recovered. No, he did, of course. It was brilliant. Uh, he's not producer Matt. I hasten to add. Right. He's not producer Matt. I've got to get. Into, I've got to get. It's on my list of things to watch. You know, yeah. st- I, I'm still deciding Game of Thrones or Walking Dead, which one to tackle first. And I'm just. I I'm go paralyzed. with Game of Thrones because yeah. Walking De- Walking Dead is good, but it can be a bit boring sometimes, and there's loads of lags in the pace of Walking Dead. Whereas Game of Thrones is just excellent almost every week. And it, it, last week's episode, I mean, it's just brilliant. You have to watch Game of Thrones. Okay, Given, there's no competition between the two, and I like The Walking Dead, but yeah. definitely Game of Thrones. And you were right about the oranges and new black. What's it called? So, you know. <laughs> Okay, 100% record so far. And finally, now this is a show neither of us has watched, so I'm looking forward to this chat. It's Mad Men. (laughs) But I don't think... We are not the only ones who haven't watched Mad Men because... Did you see how smoothly I did that? Brilliant. (laughs) It's like you're going to say something about the ratings not being as good as they used to be. (laughs) The ratings are not as good as they used to be. Oh, really? It came in at the lowest rating since the season two premiere, and it's, I think, uh, figures here, it's 34% down on the opening of the last season which is actually quite a significant slump for a show this prestigious i think people were surprised that it it came in so low 2.3 million on sunday night for the season opener i haven't seen it yet i've, I've recorded it i've been away this weekend so i haven't had a chance to watch it i love Mad Men. i'm a huge huge Mad Men fan but sunday nights in the u.s are just outstanding for tv there's so much good stuff on and Mad Men is 10 o'clock on sunday nights and i just wonder if it's because normally Mad Men comes along and you think this is the this is clearly the best show on TV at the moment. But right now it's competing against Game of Thrones, obviously. Veep is on. Um, the Good Wife, which is 
absolutely brilliant this series it really is one of the best things on tv and so i don't know if there's just not that excitement because it's just it's just another excellent show and a kind of run of other excellent shows and it's not the kind of show to you know put a spring in your step first thing monday morning is it no it's true um there just doesn't seem to have been that same excitement and i think it's maybe that the competition is stronger at the moment there's just so much good stuff on the good wife uh, the massive breakthrough in st albans hertfordshire uh, uk yeah, oh yeah I, I, I got to the end of an episode yay well done first time ever uh, what what whereabouts were you in the um <laughs> on the in sofa. the run of it <laughs> oh right sorry <laughs> where was it it was uh now it had a famous uh, guest star it had the man from um the brilliant yeah. man who was in Alien Nation, which you, uh, viewers, uh, listeners under 40 won't remember, which was a film. More recently in Homeland, um, Saul's buddy from Homeland. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell you which one it was. It was the one with um, F. Murray Abraham. The, the Daradal. Probably. From Homeland, yeah. Um, no. no. That, that episode does <laughs> not ring a bell. But I've been watching, so again, this is another one that's on Sunday nights here. And um, they had a big moment about three weeks ago, a oh. huge, big shocker of an episode. And this season has it's season five, and it's been just excellent every week. But it's been getting better and better. And the episode that was on this Sunday was just—it's—it's it's one of the best things on TV. And I think we ran a blog about it on the TV site a few months ago, saying it doesn't really get the same credit as the big glossy cable shows like Game of Thrones and Mad Men and stuff because it's a network TV show. But it is. I would say, at the moment, easily up there with them. It's so great. And, Rebecca, before yeah. we let you go, we should also ask you about the uh, David Letterman story, of course. Yes. He's off. Massive news here. Stephen Colbert. <laughs> really huge. Yeah, Stephen Colbert's in instead. I'm slightly... Underwhelmed. It's really, this is one of those things that's really hard for me to get a grasp of because it was huge news here. And, and you know, it's a massive thing and everyone is talking about it. But, I don't know, it just seems like another middle-aged white man doing a middle-aged white man's job I'm slightly disappointed but I'm not sure that it could have been anything different really which is a shame okay Rebecca well thank you very much great to have you back on the pod it was nice to talk to you and we'll catch up soon I'm glad you're still talking about Orange is the New Black (laughs) oh yeah always it's back soon is that right rumour has it it's back in June yeah it's back in June yeah fantastic so you need to watch the second you've got another what two years now to watch the second season and then we can talk about it that's it let's stick it in your diary 2016 (laughs) Rebecca Nicholson thank you very much thank you bye And that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to all our guests, who were Charlotte Higgins, Tara Conlon, Stuart Dredge, Emily Bell and Rebecca Nicholson. You can leave your thoughts on this week's podcast on our blog, or you can tweet me at johnplunkett149. Media Talk is produced by Mr Matt Hill. See you next time. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag and drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.